0: We all feel discouraged on our podcasting journey from time to time. It's a natural part of the process when you're trying to put together something that's new or requires some endurance. Well, in this episode of Podcastification, I wanted to talk with someone who's been doing this podcasting thing for a very long time. So I want to introduce you to Rob Greenlee. My name is Carrie Green, and I am the Client Happiness Guy at PodcastFastTrack.com, and this is Podcastification. This show is all about podcasting, how to do it, how not to do it, best practices, interesting news items that have to do with the realm of podcasting, and who knows what else. And I'm trying to do it all with a little bit of fun and some information to help you get a show going, keep yours going, or make it better. And if you like what's going on here on the show, I would appreciate it. Oh, so appreciate it. If you could leave a rating or review on iTunes, you can find out how to do that at podcastfasttrack.com slash review. That's enough of that kind of stuff. Let's get you podcastificated right away. So I am very, very privileged today to talk with a Podcasting Hall of Fame inductee for 2017, Rob Greenlee. Rob, how are you doing today? Doing
1: terrific. It's great to be here, Carrie. It's uh, always a good day when I'm able to do podcasts.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. There's always this, this little bit of excitement, kind of giddy like a kid in a candy shop or something, you know, or with a new toy. Uh, getting to do a recording, it's it's a lot of fun. The reason I wanted to have Rob on the show is because Rob is like prehistoric when it comes to podcasting. <laughs> he was Back telling in the me... Jurassic
1: period. I was yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Rob was telling me before we hit the record button that he actually was dealing with some some software and and different uh, proprietary things that did essentially what podcasting does before podcasting was even a thing. So Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? That was before 2004. So so what sort of proprietary software was that?
1: Well, back in the, the early 2000s, um, streaming was a very big thing back then. So I was heavily involved in streaming of my show. and Actually, that's where most of my audience came from. But a, little company called Microsoft came out with a software package. It was called Sync and Go, and it was part of the Windows XP Plus Media pack that you could get. It was like an add-on package that you could add to your your Windows XP. And if you happen to go out and buy a pocket PC device, which uh, you know if people have been around long enough, they probably knew that that existed for a while, which is not unlike uh, what an iPod is or was. This software that you can get was called Sync and Go. And you basically loaded this little client software on your Windows XP device. And then you had your Pocket PC that had like a little dock to it, just like what a lot of iPods had as well. And you could just dock it and it would synchronize media files between the Sync and Go software and the Pocket PC. Um, Sources like the NBC Nightly News or radio shows or And I happened to be one of the content providers. There was only 14 content providers that were on the platform. And I was getting paid 25 cents per download of my radio show to be distributed on that platform by Microsoft at the time. So people were synchronizing that radio show down to their portable media player, which was the Pocket PC. And then on the Pocket PC, there was an app that you loaded that basically gave you access to those media files and played them back. And you subscribe to it on Windows XP, just like you would, uh, you know, with iTunes and with podcasting. And you know, what's really funny about it is that Microsoft killed that software in 2005. (laughs) Right?
0: Oh, my God. Right
1: as podcasting was just starting. And I was like yelling at these guys going, you guys see what's happening? And all you got to do is open it up to more content. And you guys have a great thing and kind of extend it out to Windows Mobile. Because back in that time, they were moving into uh, taking Pocket PC and starting to roll out phones, you know, with the Windows operating system. Wow. So wow. so they they decided to kill it because it wasn't a big enough thing for them at the time. Oh, hold up, man. That is not that is not cool.
0: That is not cool. We're going to have a strong talk when you get back.
1: So they moved on to working with, you know, movies and TV and, and things like that. And then years later, I wound up going to work for them. And I'm the one that ran the Zoom podcasting platform, you know, probably three or four years after that.
0: Yeah, man! All the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. You wonder what what might have happened if they had taken your advice and stuck with that. You know, maybe they would be the quote unquote iTunes of the podcasting world now uh, because they were so far ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's possible, but I think um, Apple really kind of had a big leap forward with that iPhone, you know, and and yeah, and Microsoft was not in the mental position to make that kind of a leap. So um, it was always in the cards that Apple was going to own that, you know. Now back then what Microsoft did with phones was great and they had really strong market presence with their windows phones back then. But you know, when Apple came out with the iPhone, it was checkmate. It was over at that point. Mostly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Smartphone has changed so much. Well, well, Rob, I wanted to talk to you specifically in this episode about just that journey from the first stages of podcasting all the way to where you are now, primarily just to talk about, this thing that I think we all experience it sometimes in podcasting and that's discouragement. I mean, we we find, you know, downloads aren't happening as fast as we thought or the the workload is a bigger time suck than we thought it would be or we just simply don't know what we're doing and the learning curve is too big and and we just, we kind of get discouraged and think about throwing in the towel at various points. So I'd love to hear you know, Starting back as early as, as you want to take us, tell us how you got started and what were the initial things that really motivated you to get into this thing called podcasting?
1: Well, I think if you really back up and you look at the big picture of my journey through this, uh, my motivation for doing a show was I was a search engine marketing consultant back in the late 90s. Is what I was doing if I got my timing right there. And I was looking for clients. And so my motivation was to um, spread the word about my knowledge about search engine marketing and and what was happening with the World Wide Web and the internet. Because back then, you know, it was really a passion of mine. I was reading everything that I could find. I was consuming all sorts of content about what was happening with the World Wide Web and the internet. And so, I just walked into a radio station in Seattle here and uh, basically paid to have a, a show on the air and just came in every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. and did it live in the studio. I had never done a radio show before that and never really considered myself to be any kind of a public speaker either. So I just went in there with some friends of mine that were also at passionate about the internet and was also doing some work around marketing online back then. And really I'm a marketing guy. My college degree is in marketing. I'm not a technologist really, I'm totally self-taught in the technology side of things. And it's not really what's driven me and motivated me. It's It's been my passion for marketing and my passion for kind of learning new things has driven me forward. And podcasting certainly tapped into that at a very deep level for me because I saw it as such a transformative thing very early on. I was looking for some unique kind of angle all the time and how I could be more effective as a marketer. And I saw this this wave of technology that was starting to just... Take off! I'm still amazed when I look back on it how far technology has really permeated our our lives, how how deeply at such a fundamental level that um, smartphones and the computers and technology has permeated every part of our lives now. I saw it coming and I saw it happening on this radio show and that's what I covered. It was called the Web Talk World Radio Show. And we talked about these trend lines of a ubiquitous bandwidth and and we talked about security, cyber security, which are still hot button items now today. I mean, even in the last week, you know, it's, it's a hot thing. And those were topics that we covered and talked to, you know, with leaders like Symantec and Microsoft and all those kinds of things. You know, I had leaders on from those folks. So it really tapped into a passion that that I had at that time in my life that, that was really kind of an offshoot of marketing. Yeah, you were essentially
0: doing content marketing before people called it content marketing.
1: At the core of my marketing strategy was using the web and the internet at FloridaJuice.com, which is still an active uh, website for the Florida citrus industry today. And really, that's really kind of where, where I started with this stuff. I was, started heading down the path towards technology was building websites. So, I, I got sucked up into building websites for companies back in that time frame too. as like a sidelight business for what I was doing. And then I was doing this radio show. And then I wound up taking that radio show home and building a studio in my bedroom. Hmm. So, this was back in like 2000 or so. And started producing my radio show and building syndicated distribution on broadcast radio. I was on 15 broadcast stations on the XM Satellite Radio Network for two years. And I was on two public radio stations in the Seattle area. I was just doing everything that I could. I was writing articles uh, for newspapers. I was doing all sorts of media, local media. I was trying to build my name locally too because I was building a consulting business. So, I I was really trying to build my my authority around marketing and i was using the the early tools of the World Wide web and the internet to um, use content marketing so i would write articles about a particular like um, cyber security or something like that and then i would embed the conversation that i had with like the vp of security from, from semantic would be embedded in that article you know it'd be like a link to the audio file that was available on the show so i would use that as a promotional tool in Google or there were different search engines back then too. Google was just getting started, but I use it as a content marketing
0: tool to drive people to my radio show because that's that's what I was driving people towards back then. In that whole process, what are some of the the obstacles that you came up against where you you know you felt that discouragement, you weren't sure this was going to work, but you pressed through anyway. Well I think probably the biggest
1: discouragement was just the complexity of it all back then and the the expense the tools were not really easy to use. I just pushed through it, just the sheer curiosity and sheer determination to try new things constantly, to experiment and see what what worked and what didn't work and what worked for me and and actually also simplification is a huge motivator, too, because you have very complex situations and you're always trying to problem solve them to make them easier. And then also just understanding how to market an audio program like that in a way that, that was kind of difficult for people to consume back then too. Because those are back in the days when people were um, had a lot of dial-up connections. So the bandwidth was just not there yet.
0: Oh, yeah. Even to just download the file.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I actually, I encoded a lot of my shows in 16K, which is, if you think about now, most podcasts are done at 96K or 128K. That's the encoding bit, right? I was doing shows at 16K back then, and and 32 is what I jumped up to, and I thought that, that was a huge increase, but people would have to wait. 10 or 15 minutes to download my radio show back then. So people had to be pretty patient to get my show and had to really want to get my show. And that's, that's a big reason why I used real and windows media streaming servers back then to deliver my content because that content would be dribbled to them based on the the bandwidth that they had, which was very restricted back then. So those were kind of the, the obstacles, but at the core of me, it was just this driving passion towards learning new things. I mean, having these terrific CEOs on from these big companies and people that were the guys like Tim Berners-Lee were on my show, people that that were like leaders in the technology area uh, would come on my show and I would learn a lot from them. That That's the other thing. I mean, I didn't know everything, but believe me, when, when you have experts like this on and you have to think about questions that you're going to ask them, you have to do a lot of deep research on the topic and I did a lot of that too. I did a lot of deep research on these topics, read as much as I get my hands on. But back then I was also working a full-time job too for various companies as well. So it was really, it was a hobby, but it turned into a, a radio show that generated revenue for me too, because I was selling advertising and you know consulting work too. But it was really, advertising was what really funded the the radio show overall. I, you know, I got paid from companies like Microsoft for some of the distribution that I had. But other than that, it was financially, it was a little bit of a struggle. But.
0: Well, let me ask you some questions about that because I know a lot of podcasters now, especially, you know, uh, people who are wanting to move more into an entrepreneurial space from, you know, say a typical nine to five job, they're doing their podcasts on the side as a hobby or, or a part-time thing. It sounds like you had plenty of years of doing that exact same thing. So what is some of the advice you would give to people who are podcasting maybe bi-weekly or once a week, and they're just finding that struggle for, you know, where do I carve out the time for this? Uh, what are some of your best tips for how you push through that? Yeah, I think
1: you just have to look at your your life and prioritize what's important and set goals of what you want to do. I mean, it doesn't have to be a defined thing that you have to write down, but but you need to have this kind of this internal drive to see kind of a an aspiration is what you want. And, but it has to be built on something that you can sustain and that something that you're passionate about or a topic or, or an interest that, that, that you have. It has to be foundational, I, I think, to be able to make it in the long run with this stuff. I think you have to be very careful on the topics that you pick, how compatible they are to your background, your experience, and your contacts. Because if it's not compatible, if it's not something that will work in your life from your family, um, from your work, all that stuff... At some point going through that process, something's going to break down and you're going to have a um, a difficult time being able to blow through that and to get beyond what's a term that's commonly known now as pod fading. I mean, a lot of people hit the wall at some point after so many episodes and they run out of things either to talk about or they life gets in the way or they have a health problem or they have some big disruption that happens based on their, their full-time job and it winds up killing their their dream of this podcasting effort. It really has to be a, some kind of symbiosis with your life. I mean, with your wife and with your kids. I mean, it needs to be something that
0: you've kind of built into the fabric of your life that's sustainable. That makes total sense. And just from the way you're speaking, I, I'm assuming you're you're married, you have kids or, I, yeah. you know, so in all this, you know, of which you speak, so to speak.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. And there's no easy, easy answer or easy path here. You just, I mean, it has to make sense to you and it has to start working. You know, I know podcasting now is a very competitive area. I mean, there's a lot of people doing it now. Back when I got started, there were very few people doing this kind of
0: stuff, which was a challenge in a different way than I think people now have. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, some of the challenge that there is, is that, you know, life isn't static, you know, things change your, you know, situation in life could change. And therefore the, the best laid plans you made for this podcast, you're going to continue with suddenly you're in jeopardy because life is different than it was when you made the plans. And, you know, I'm not the type that thinks pod fading is the cardinal sin. I've, Faded a couple of shows at times just because life changed.
1: Yeah. And I've pod faded many shows myself. I've, I've done a lot of different podcasts over the 13 plus years that I've been involved in podcasting and there's no shame in it. It's, it's kind of your life evolution. I mean, things change, your careers change, your focus in life changes. And you just have to roll with it and make the best of it as you can. And if there's a lot of people that got involved in podcasting early on that are not involved anymore for whatever reason, maybe their priorities changed or their passions changed and it took them out of the industry. I just so happened in my own particular situation, I got involved from a platform perspective and started working and helping podcasters or helping radio shows. Learn about how to take advantage of the digital distribution opportunity that's in front of them. I mean, I had a lot of firsthand experience in building that and seeing how it's done and learning about it over a long period of time and was starting to share that with others. And that takes me to this conversation today. I mean, I'm still doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so you started podcasting what we would consider podcasting around 2004 uh, yep. back back in that day, I assume it was still the day of having to create enclosure tags and all those kinds of things yourself. Tell us a little bit about the hurdles that you faced at that point.
1: It's probably not entirely fair to look at my experience with that because I was already established with the distribution of a radio show. So I, I, I had already had a million people listening to my show every week. So when I started I had a blog, I had a custom made blog that was built back in um, 2003 that I just uh, launched and it had a a blog component built into it. So I already had an RSS feed. So for me, it was just a matter of getting in and adding the enclosure tag to my RSS feed and taking that MP3 file that I was already making available on my website. And I just put it into this enclosure tag in my RSS feed and then I was podcasting. And to me, it wasn't really a big deal. It wasn't really, it really had a very minor impact on my, on the success of the radio show that I was doing at the time. It, it was slowly building over time, but back then it was just a a very small part of uh, what I was doing at the time. And it slowly grew and grew and grew. And the truth of the matter is, is that podcasting was a little bit of a disruption to what I was doing with my radio show. Because my show was really a variety show. I was focused on the World Wide Web, and you know how broad that is, right? Oh, yeah. Where, where podcasting is very niche content, right? And so, what I found is a lot of other shows would start up uh, talking about cybersecurity or talking about Windows or talking about Mac or talking about just technology in general. And, and people, you know, those audiences were kind of drifting away to, to listen more on these more niche programs. That's how podcasting really changed and why eventually I stopped doing the radio show that I was doing, which I stopped in 2006, which was only a couple of years after podcasting started. But back then I started to work for platforms and I was doing shows for Zoom and Microsoft and Melodio Mobilecast, which was the early precursor on smartphones for podcasting. And then I went to podcast one and then now I'm with Spreaker.
0: That is quite a history. So in all that time, I'm sure that you know, you've you seen lots of podcasters come and go, and you've seen a lot of people who you know, are all enthused for a while and then step away for whatever reason. What are some of the most common things that you see people struggle with that causes them to eventually just say, hey, I, I just can't pull this off or I'm done with this?
1: I think it's getting too caught up in your, your stats and your numbers, because when you start a show, uh, you're not going to have any listeners and you need to go into it with a humble view of yourself and a humble view of what you're doing with it and realize that you have to build something. You, you know, when you're basically starting from scratch, I mean, unless you have a huge following already from other things that you've done or your life up to that point, you've built a big following on social media or you built a big following as a expert in a particular area. If that doesn't exist, you're basically starting from square one. So, you need to be humble about that and you need to uh, realize that you've got to pay your dues and you've got to earn your way. And that that's the thing that I, I had to get real about too when I first started too. I was doing it in a local small radio station and and I don't think I'm not sh- think anybody was really listening back then. So you just have to persevere and stick to it and realize that it's not it's not going to be easy in the beginning.
0: And how does the type of content and quality of your content figure into that growth curve of listeners?
1: Well, I think quality is that bar has been slowly rising for many years now uh, as audio quality. And it depends on what you're talking about. If you're talking about content quality, that is a very subjective view. And I think a lot of people get caught up in this this view that what's quality content? There's quality sounding content, there's audio quality, and then there's content quality. And content quality is a very subjective thing. Is it uh, how funny you are or is it how knowledgeable you are? Is that is that the gauge of what quality content is or is it how engaging is the the story that you're telling on the show? You know, those are factors of that people, I think when they say quality content, those are really what they're talking about. And I think I find myself uh, looking at these, what's quality content? I think quality content is only judged by the listener and what they consider to be uh, what's valuable to them. I think that's the big thing is, is that Quality is, is such a subjective thing, but I do think that the baseline audio quality is very important these days. Your bit rate of your playback, how clean your audio is, what the volume levels are, because many uh, listeners are listening to this content in very noisy environments, so I'm on the bus, on the train, on the airplane. Uh, While they're mowing the lawn or when they're out running or something like that. And you want to have good volume levels and you want to have consistent volume levels. I mean, you don't want to have a guest that's twice as loud as the host or the host is twice as loud as the guest, ideally. And that makes for a a listening experience that's, uh, that's listenable, right? Not so much what's being said, but it's just the audio experience of it, which is a whole different factor, I think
0: yeah, I totally agree with you on that. part of the philosophy that my editing team follows has to do with the enjoyability of the actual audio. so we we make a lot of our determinations on levels and filler words and background noise and all that based on how enjoyable is this to listen to,
1: yeah, yeah, because I, mean, I mean, you you can go out and record a podcast in a very noisy environment, like at a conference. And it can be very compelling content because the conversation that's being had is what's interesting. The background sound can actually add a depth of a perception around where it's being recorded and the energy that's around that too. So just the bias of saying, well, if there's noise behind your recording, that somehow that's bad content is kind of missing the experience of it. I mean... Uh, Back early on, podcasting had this trend that was happening. And this was back in like 2006, 2005, where people were doing what was called sound scene podcasts, where they would basically do a podcast while they were walking through the forest. And they would actually make an episode um, talking about what that person would feel like or experience when they were walking through the trees. And you could hear the birds chirping in the background and, and, and really experience that at a deep level from an audio perspective. And I think some people are still doing that today, but it did fade a little bit. But but that does add that depth, and I think we're seeing more of that come back in the storytelling podcast. The Foley, which is kind of sound effects that people add to audio programs these days from the old days of kind of radio theater, you know, those kind of things are are, can offer a real compelling experience.
0: Absolutely. We've we've heard a number of shows here that have come through our client load that have had, you know, conference recordings or a conversation in a coffee shop or whatever. And I've I've seen that if they position it right, if they if they talk about the episode in the right way, it actually draws you into it because it is a different sort of an experience. Yep. And it's got this winsomeness to it because it's it's different. I mean, how many, how many interview shows can you listen to, for goodness sake? I mean, let, let's be a little more creative, and I think we create more quality content, like you're saying. Yep. So, Rob, you are with Spreaker now. That's like speaker with an R, Spreaker.com. How long has Spreaker been around?
1: They launched back in 2010, so they've been around for about seven years now.
0: And tell us just in a nutshell, what is Spreaker?
1: Spreaker is a podcast hosting platform as well as a live streaming platform that have been combined into one. So it's an audio only platform, but what you can do is is use the Spreaker software for Windows, Mac, um, iOS, and Android to either live stream or record your audio program and upload it directly to Spreaker that can then be encoded and made available as a podcast. And you can do it Right after you turn off the live streaming button, it automatically goes into your podcast feed and you're podcasting it right away. Yeah. So it's a complete platform that basically enables you to create a podcast live radio like radio show. It has all the tools that enables you to play intros and exits and control the the the, the volume levels. You can also plug in up to four microphones into the, the desktop software. Um, So you can basically replace any mixer that you have. It's a very portable recording type of platform. So that's kind of in a nutshell what what Spreaker is. It's a global company, so it's been around for a long time, and there's like 100,000 shows on the platform.
0: Yeah, and what is your role at Spreaker?
1: The head of content? But I would say that that a lot of my role is is kind of like a spokesperson for the company, um, kind of podcaster relations, going out and helping networks and podcasters to learn how to podcast and to potentially use Spreaker as that platform. So that's that's what I spend a lot of time doing, but it's mainly working with content creators.
0: Okay. And so if someone wanted to find out more about Spreaker, I assume they would just go to Spreaker.com, correct?
1: Yeah, you can go to the blog that Spreaker has as well, um, blog.spreaker.com. And I also do a Spreaker live show every week talking about podcasting too. It's at spreakerliveshow.com. And I also do another show called The New Media Show. It's at newmediashow.com every Saturday mornings with Todd Cochran from Blueberry Raw Voice. And we talk about the podcasting space and and cover what's happening and the trends that that are going on in the industry.
0: Great. Rob, before we wrap up here, let me ask you the same question from two different scenarios, if I could imagine that you're speaking with someone who's been podcasting just a short amount of time, say they have five or six episodes published and life is like a perfect storm, it seems, and it's hard for them to kind of figure out what they should do to get this podcast rolling on a, on a more consistent clip. What would be your advice to that person? I would just back up and
1: and look at your life and what's realistic for you to accomplish. If there's things that you can do to persevere and just simplify, if you're going through a rough spot in your personal life and you need to take care of that, but you also want to maintain your podcast and maintain your audience that you've built, I would just simplify the podcast as much as you can. It just depends on what kind of program that you're actually recording at the time, but I would just keep it regular if you can. I mean, unless you really have to turn it off and not do it anymore, I would just do the minimum that you can do to keep your audience satisfied. Ah,
0: yeah. That's what I'm talking about.
1: Is really the, the core because once your life settles down and you have more time again, you can focus on building again. But what you want to do is keep your audience because it takes a long time to build these things. And if you can keep your eye focused on your goal and make it through your your life challenges to get to the other side, then you're going to be a much better position because it's it's going to be hard for you to stop your podcast and then restart it again um, months later. I recommend to people that they completely start over at that point because you've basically lost all of your audience at that point. So do anything you can to just keep it going. Cut down the amount of time that you're recording your show. I mean, I mean, if you have to go back to 20 minutes or 15 minute shows or whatever you have to do, but just keep it going and keep that audience connected with you and keep building it. And then when you can come back to it and spend more time with it, then you'll be in a better position.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. I think I found a lot along the line of what you were saying of of simplifying the podcast is just in... Stepping back and rethinking your workflow, rethinking the things that you're including in your production that maybe don't necessarily need to be there that time being. Uh, You can always simplify things to a point that you're getting out the basic product without having to consume a lot more time with all these little bells and whistles, uh, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, and if you can actually do it as a live recording-like and not do a bunch of post-production, that'll also save you to from fading for many people it's the post-production part that kills them
0: yeah which is why my company exists <laughs> yeah it's yeah.
1: it's so time consuming to edit but if you can design and and organize your show so you can do it in one take and maybe just do some some quick edits at the beginning and at the end and just minimize the amount of edits that is the key to longevity in podcasting
0: yeah. Okay. Let me position that question just a little bit differently. Imagine that the person that you're having the conversation with has been podcasting for some time. So maybe they've got 200 episodes or 300 episodes and they're way down the line, but they're beginning to wonder, is this really bringing the ROI that I need it to? Um, what are some ways you would advise them to, first of all, investigate that question? Is this bringing the ROI that I need? And secondly, do uh, to make a decision. Should I keep going with this or should I pull the plug?
1: Well, I think ROI is a difficult thing to evaluate at any given point in time. I, I think that it's things come in bursts in podcasting. You could be on the cusp of a, of a breakthrough that will spike your ROI. And, and you also have to think about, you know, what is that ROI? What is the, the, the goal? What would you consider to be, a successful return on your time and your investment. And sometimes it's money and sometimes it's career and sometimes it's just, uh, you know, happiness. So I think, you know, you have to evaluate it based on where you're at and what your goals are. I don't typically suggest to people to start a podcast so they can make money from advertising. And for most people that comes from after many years of doing, doing a show. It doesn't yeah, usually I'm happen. I'm with you there. It usually doesn't happen uh, even within a few months because your numbers aren't high enough to really earn enough income from that to even justify any effort because your program is not going to be better because it's running ads in it. So what you want to do is you want to build your audience and that is done just from consistent effort. But you may be on the cusp of getting that big break or getting that big guest spot on a radio show or on a TV show or on some other program in your genre that kind of breaks it out for you a little bit. And then then you start looking at different scenarios at that point of being a contributor to other media as well. Maybe you start blogging. Maybe you start doing more video and then your growth curve starts to accelerate at that point and it puts you in a better position to monetize and start running an ad or two to make some money on your podcast. But maybe the podcast really helps you with your own career and you get a promotion or you get a new opportunity in, with your career. You start speaking at panels or start going to conferences and people are start looking to you as a thought leader. That can have benefits as well.
0: I really appreciate that response because it is a very subjective thing depending on what your own goals are. And uh, that ROI can be difficult to evaluate. Let me ask you one final question based on everything we've talked about. Before we hit the record button, you mentioned to me that podcasting is a marathon, not a sprint. And I'd like you just to expand on that. Why is it important to view your efforts at building a podcast as a long-term thing in terms of, Impact. Well, because I mean, if you think about it as almost like
1: a companion to your career, so let's say you have a career, that career is built over many years and many stages in its development. And I think that podcasting is, is an effort that takes time to build success for the simple reason, and this is probably one of the biggest reasons, is that the most successful way to market a podcast is through word of mouth marketing. And word of mouth is a very slow method of growing a show. So it's part of the reason why if you look at the overall metrics in the podcasting space today, that the, the growth of the medium has been steady, but slow. It's been steadily increasing 2 or 3% a year uh, for many years. And so this is not a medium that's going to typically, and this is typically going to spike upward in a short period of time it's something that you have to earn an audience. You have to build trust. Your audience has to almost become your friend. And if you think about building friends, that doesn't happen overnight either. That takes time for a person to build trust and to build a relationship with you. And that's basically what you're doing when you're creating a podcast is you're trying to build trust in people um, that will trust what you say and trust that you have integrity and trust that you will be there for them. You're basically creating a group of friends is what you're creating. And that that's the real power of the medium. And that's why it takes a long time to build a big audience.
0: Yeah. I think I agree with that. I think that the people I've seen who have built an audience quickly right off the start have spent years Mm -hmm. building that relationship through other means, whether it's, you know, through a blog or a video channel or something like that. And so they've got that list that they can, promote their podcast to right away that it it just explodes. I mean, I have one client who had like 1200 downloads on her very first episode, Yeah, but she had a list of like 10,000 people that helps (laughs) that she had already cultivated for years. So I think, yeah, it definitely helps. And I guess my main point is I think podcasters need to be careful when they hear these great success stories of a podcast launch, you know, you got to look at the backstory and understand that's not the norm. That's definitely the exception. Well Rob, I sure appreciate your time. Uh, is there anything my listeners could do to help you? Well, I, I guess just follow my efforts in the podcasting space
1: and uh, my, my podcast because I'm, I'm out here trying to help podcasters get better and to, to share my experience. If you are an aspiring podcaster, I tend to surround myself with other really great people that are very knowledgeable at podcasting as well. So, there's a lot of kind of shared knowledge that is shared across both of the podcasts that I do every week. You know, these little tidbits of information that come from podcasters that have been around this medium for a, a very long time that have seen the ups and downs and seen the cycles is valuable to new podcasters because they need to see what's worked in the past and what hasn't worked in the past, because there's always something new popping up saying that they're the the next shiny thing, you know, and it, it just may not be the next shiny thing. So that's what I would hope that your listeners would tap into is those podcasters that I tend to surround, you know, surround myself and do shows with that are also knowledgeable about this medium that can help you.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for that. We will definitely include the links to your websites and podcasts in the show notes for this episode. So if you're listening on a podcast player or app, those show notes will be included right there in the description. You can just, I don't know, depending on your your operating system, you can swipe right, left, up, down, do a little jig, whatever, and you can find the description And those notes should be clickable. You can just go right to Rob's shows and subscribe to those, check them out. So Rob, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate all the effort that you've put into the podcasting community. I remember probably the first time I ever came across your name was probably three years ago when I was submitting podcasts to Zune for clients. And uh, you know, back then it was just send Rob an email and he'll add you to the list. So I appreciate all that you've done and uh, your consistency in the space.
1: Well, thank you so much, Carrie. It was great to join you and, and speak with you on, on your show. Congratulations on that. <laughs>
0: Thanks, Rob. It's a lot of fun. I look forward to connecting in the future.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Hello. I did mention it at the top of the show, but I wanted to remind you that Rob has been nominated to be inducted into the Podcasting Hall of Fame this year. And that is an amazing honor. And he deserves it very much because of all of the things he has done to contribute to the podcasting community And Rob will be inducted at Podcast Movement this coming August in California. So if you're going to Podcast Movement, make sure you reach out to Rob and say hi to him. And by the way, I'm going to be there too. And I would love to see you at Podcast Movement. Please introduce yourself, find me. I don't know how that'll happen. Maybe I'll wear a big hat that says the podcastification dude or something like that. But regardless, I think it should be pretty easy to connect. So. Thanks once again for listening to Podcastification. I hope this episode has been an encouragement to you to stay encouraged on your podcasting journey. And now that you've got some encouragement from a veteran in podcasting, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and make it a podcastificating day. This show is brought to you by Podcast Fast Track where my team provides professional podcasting services without the time suck. Full production, editing, and show notes all in one monthly subscription package. You can find out more at PodcastFastTrack.com. Now go out and make it a podcastificating day.